everyone. Welcome back to... Uh, How Didn't This Get Made? Which is a show about all those films that, uh, that, that never got made. The universe is about 20% matter. About one third of that is dark matter. And then the rest of it is dark energy. And most of it's actually dark energy. About 65% of the universe or 50% or whatever is like dark energy. Like they don't even know what it is. It's so dark. And what this podcast explores is that... But for Hollywood, Hollywood is actually mostly films that did not get made. Uh, my, my name is Connor Murray, <laughs> and I'm joined by Saul. Oh, Saul, hi, yeah. I'm... <laughs> hi, I'm Saul. So this is a, yeah. So this is a podcast that explores the dark energy of Hollywood. That good sixty percent chunk of the of the pie chart that uh, didn't get made. So uh, d- do you know what we're exploring this week, Saul? Uh... P- please ask me so I can tell you. Uh, what what are we doing this week? Napoleon. What's that then? Okay. Um, <laughs> N- Napoleon. Uh, have you ever heard of a little director called Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. Napoleon was supposed to be quote Stanley Kubrick the best movie ever made. Hmm. Th- that's it. That was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the best film ever made. What What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's it's a bold claim. I don't know if it's for Kubrick really to say if he was planning to make it himself, but. Yeah, I mean, if anyone's going to say it and you believe him, I guess he's the guy. He did make some very good films. I mean, in my opinion, he did make the best film ever made. So, uh, uh, I mean, I love I love most of his films, actually. So, All right, so imagine yeah. A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, imagine it. Yeah. But better. Whoa! And that's what Kubrick said Napoleon was going to be. Holy shit! <laughs> Isn't that mind-blowing? I, that that I mean, just that, absolutely blows my mind. Wow. So it's A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> but better. I keep trying to picture this film, and I'm just picturing Barry Lyndon. Because <laughs> like, it's like old-timey Kubrick. And, that, you know, I love Barry Lyndon, but... Maybe I should start giving some of the context here. Okay. So, Napoleon, it was supposed to be made after 2001 A Space Odyssey that came out in 1968. So, at, at this point, he had just absolutely turned the world upside down on its head baby aliens were flying in space looking down on us all and uh, he was lauded as a genius pretty much at this point i think so yeah so at this point he was dying to make a film about napoleon it's something that he really super wanted to do he did his copious research on napoleon and on the subject and do you know what stanley kubrick means by research like do you know his research methods uh, reading everything ever written on yeah. something, and probably taking over a floor of a library and looking through their like archive material. Yeah, so it's it's not just him reading everything; it's his team of researchers and assistants, and oh, he God, still reads yeah, it all and everything. But he has literal. He adds readers on his. Yeah, yeah, he's got literal warehouses of archives on stuff. On, on all of his films, like not just Napoleon, but there's something called the Stanley Kubrick Archives, which are warehouses of research that he did on his stuff. Jesus. So no doubt a lot of that energy went towards researching Napoleon, and uh, which really made it handy for this podcast to be on it, to be honest, because instead of having to actually do research on Napoleon for this sake, I actually all I had to do was just read the prelim- preliminary script that Stanley Kubrick made. And there's no doubt that that's going to be about as factually accurate as Napoleon's life probably was. So if I get some things wrong about Napoleon, well, don't blame me, blame Stanley Kubrick and, you know, see how far that gets you. (laughs) So he did all of his research 
and the drip story cards and I think some storyboards. He must have done exhausting research on it and he watched, quote, as much films as he possibly could on the subject, like films and TV shows and whatever. But the, but he didn't like most of them, apparently. But that was kind of his thing. He watched bad films and learned from them, right? Yeah, he made a huge thing about that. Yeah, he said you learn more from the bad ones than the good ones. Uh, he drew up a detailed documentation of Napoleon's life during his active and most notable years. Uh, I'm assuming that means from when he became like a captain through until general and eventual emperor. And uh, he wrote a screenplay, uh, which I also read as well. And uh, it's online for free. If anyone wants to read it, just type in Napoleon by Stanley Kubrick. It was 155 pages long and he scouted locations. He was going to use the UK studios that he was always fond of using. Uh, The battle scenes were going to be filmed in Romania. Excuse me. And he also had enlisted the help of the Romanian army, which had committed at one point 40,000 soldiers and 10,000 cavalrymen. So that's between 40 and possibly 50,000 people that were going to be used as extras for this. This thing was going to be absolutely huge. And he he went on ahead with it. He was so prepared to actually do this. He had David Hemmings, uh, who was going to be Napoleon. Uh, can you remember who David Hemmings is? No. Who's that? Have you ever seen Blow Up? Uh, Blow Up. It's that artsy 60s photographer film. No, no, I watched Blowout uh, last week. Blowout's with, uh, much better. John Travolta, which is <laughs> a very different film, isn't it? Um, no, I haven't seen Blowout. It's, it's it's a lot better. <laughs> I prefer Blowout so much more to Blowout. <laughs> um, but he was also in Gladiator. Okay. Who was he in that? Y- you know uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. Okay, you know the way when they're doing the, the fight scenes in the Coliseum? Yes. And you've got... Joaquin Phoenix as the Emperor, and then he's got like a fancy announcer guy, like the guy that announces the battles. Yeah. That's David Hemmings. Okay. That that's that's who was going to be Napoleon. And if you look at a picture of David Hemmings, David Hemmings is absolutely perfect. Just looking at him, you can see that he was definitely sort of born for that role, I would say. You know, sort of like a classical yeah. uh British actor, but also, you know, progressive as well. You know, progressively minded me a blow up, so he would have been open to the more open minded stuff about what Napoleon was supposed to be. But at some point, for some reason, this casting decision by Kubrick changed, and he changed his mind to Jack Nicholson instead. Mm. And I wait, don't as, understand that as Napoleon. Yes, Kubrick changed his mind and wanted Jack Nicholson to be <laughs> Napoleon instead. Uh just look up David Hemmings. Look up his picture. Okay. David Hemmings. Okay, yeah, I can see him as Napoleon. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. He he should be Napoleon. He's got a kind of intense, short man quality. He looks... Yeah, I think he looks apart. Yeah, and so... I mean, Kubrick wouldn't do it for no reason. So he must have learned something pretty fundamental about Napoleon's character or looks or something that maybe you know, like a, a superficial historical research doesn't do, you know. Maybe during his research he finds something out. What year was it that he swapped over to wanting Nicholson? Well, this whole thing took place from around 1970-ish. 1969, 1970, I think. Okay. Uh, I mean... I mean, he, I guess he could look the part. <laughs> but he's not 
what you it's not what you think of. <laughs> yeah. But then I don't know, maybe Napoleon was he's known for being prone to anger, isn't he? That's one of the kind of uh stereotypical traits you hear about him. I guess Jack Nicholson could do that. Maybe Yeah, but maybe that would have made sense. I don't know. But then when you read this script, again Jack Nicholson doesn't fit. <laughs> like that's but I mean interestingly that would have been uh pre The Shining. So the two of them hadn't worked together at mm-hmm. that point, had they? Jack Nicholson and Kubrick, but obviously did go on to. That's very odd. There's no uh, angry, irrational outbursts uh, in the script, in the preliminary script anyway. I don't know what he had planned on down the line. But uh, it's not what you would associate Jack Nicholson with. Like, not even not even a hint of Easy Rider there. Nothing like that. Wasn't Jack Nicholson... Wasn't Napoleon quite a small man? Five foot seven. That was one of the trivia questions I was going to ask you, but I'll scratch that now. <laughs> well, how tall was Jack Nicholson? I've looked him up and it says 1.77 meters. What's that in feet? Five foot ten. Five foot ten. So he's too tall. Okay, that's that's not a world of difference then. Three inches. You can work with that. And the thing is, five foot seven in Napoleon's day actually wasn't that small. That was just propaganda that got made up by the countries that didn't like him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I knew it was exaggerated, yeah. but yeah, that isn't that bad at all. I mean, what the average height in the UK is apparently five foot nine. Oh man. Nowadays, so... David Hemmings just gets more and more perfect. Sorry, he was five foot eight, but maybe maybe it's about screen presence. Maybe Jack Nicholson would be taller compared to the other actors, and I imagine from Kubrick's point of view, he would he doesn't care about the whole short thing. He just cares about how it looks on the screen, maybe to a certain extent. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's this really strange choice that that completely mystified me because even upon reading the script, the preliminary script, I don't see why Jack Nicholson would be a better choice. It doesn't even come out through the character, through how the character speaks or uh, or acts. There's some irrationality there, but it's nothing that David Hemmings couldn't do. I can trust him on this. I I think I can see that. I I I'll trust him. I think he's seen something that I'm not seeing. I I think it's something that must have come up about during his research. Yeah. Well, it's it's like um, it's like Lincoln, isn't it? Daniel Day Lewis did him with a really soft-spoken way of talking. I can't accomplish a goddamn thing of any human meaning or worth until we cure ourselves of slavery and end this pestilential war. Yeah, my name's Abraham Lincoln. Whenever whenever you see Abe Lincoln in like a cartoon as a kid, it's always, Hello, my name's Abe Lincoln. Four score. And, and then, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis actually goes and reads accounts of the man and blah, 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 and comes back and he's all, Hello, I'm Abraham Lincoln. I really, I just can't imagine Napoleon being Kubrick's best. <laughs> I just keep imagining it being like Barry Lyndon and Spartacus, which, uh, but then I love Barry Lyndon, so why am I thinking of that as a lesser Kubrick film when it isn't? Barry Lyndon's amazing. I know, I love it. I don't know why. Uh, I watched it again the other day, you know, preparing for this, and The Irishman, that film, it's what, three and a half hours long, right? Something like that. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, I think it's good. But it absolutely crawled past for me. Oh God, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I paused it, and only thirty-two minutes had gone by, and I was like, Jesus, that feels like an hour. Oh yeah, it's it's a slow, ponderous affair. Yeah. Yeah, Barry Lyndon, I paused it like relatively quick to go get a sandwich and then come back. That was at twenty-five minutes in, and I was like, Oh, mm. geez, that went in quick. 
I swear to God, Saul, I finished my whiskey, like same size. It's about just like a dash, like about 50 ml. And <laughs> I, I, I paused it to get another one. I was like, all right, it's probably been about an hour. It's done. It had gone through to two and a half hours in what I thought was one hour. So about two hours there, poof. And then the final 30 minutes, poof, went by like nothing at all. I had that the other day. I watched, uh, for the first time, I've never seen it before, I watched Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't seen it. I haven't even heard of it. It's from the guy who directed Run, Lola, Run. Oh, wow. Okay. It's an incredibly strange film, but I really enjoyed it in the end. It, it went bizarre enough to really click with me. I wasn't sure I was going to like it, but then a lot of stuff at the end was so weird, I just got on board with it. Anyway... <laughs> That's two and a half hours long, and it was the same thing where I kind of put it on thinking... Well, basically, it ended, and I was like, oh, that was a nice, swift, like, 90-minute film. And then I looked at the <laughs> runtime, and it was like, two and a half hours, what the... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that Barry Lyndon, for all... Like, you kind of remember it for kind of stuffiness and yeah. long, slow takes, but it actually flashes past. And I imagine Napoleon, given that Barry Lyndon is kind of what he made because he couldn't make Napoleon, then... Uh, I imagine Napoleon would be the same. Um, I'm cracking on here. Um, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Napoleon's first wife was Empress Josephine. That was supposed to be played by Audrey Hepburn. Good choice because Empress Josephine was a mixture of beauty, charm, but cool detachment. But she had also had lots of affairs and evoked jealousy and why were so many people in love with her and all that kind of stuff. So I think Audrey Hepburn's pretty spot on for that. And yep. Okay, so here, I'm just going to throw some trivia at you every now and then. Just going to just okay. bring some trivia your way. Okay. What is the difference between a king and an emperor? Uh, king and an emperor. A king is, you're born a king and you are appointed an emperor? <laughs> I don't Wrong. know. Wrong. No difference. There is okay, no difference. Th there is a difference. Um, I'll go through because this is just one of those things that I was like, I've gone my whole life without realizing what the difference between king and emperor was, so I thought I'd look it up. So an emperor is higher in rank and honor than a king because a king rules one country, but an emperor rules a group of countries. Uh... Uh -huh. An empire, an emperor rules an empire, and a king rules a kingdom. The clues in the name. Uh huh. Empire. Empire. But the thing is, this does come back down to basically country tradition. Well, yeah, because wasn't wasn't the King of England ruling over the British Empire? Absolutely. But... Yeah. So it's the King or Queen of England, but it's the British Empire. But you know, they don't call themselves Emperor. And then also Japan. Japan. Uh, the Emperor is the Emperor of just one country. You know, and Japan is the only country that still has an Emperor as well. That's the only monarch on the planet with that title. Everyone else is a king. Oh. So, you know. what? Where does being like Darth whatever come in? Like Darth Maul, Darth Vader? Because they're below the Emperor. All uh, oh, right, okay. So that's in the realm of bullshit. <laughs> Th that's where that was firmly placed. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. but, but the Emperor was also called Darth Sidious. <laughs> he? Um, I, I think he might well have been, yeah. So, I mean, so he was a Darth, but he was an Emperor. I, th I think Darth is more like a description. You know what the worst thing with that is, Darth Sidious, is it sounds like a pun. <laughs> and every time I hear it, my brain goes into overdrive like, oh, what's the pun? I've got to work out the pun. <laughs> and there isn't a pun. It's just a bullshit, stupid name that doesn't make any sense. Well, well, it does make sense. It's just, it's Darth Sidious. It's, it's insidious. 
Don't you get it? That is, is that, that it? is the pun. That's what my brain's trying to figure out. Like, well, it sounds a bit like Insidious, but that, that that's it. Darth Sidious doesn't make. <laughs> that's no good. Oh, that's terrible. Hey, if you like, how didn't this get made? You might like this other show, Diminishing Returns, where I and another guy called Alan Turing take a guest on a weekly trip to development hell, not this show, the actual thing, to discuss a film, then pitch our own ideas for the sequel. And for fans of this show, we've had Connor Murray on at least three times, probably more by the time you hear this. Diminishing Returns is available via all reputable podcast suppliers. Just search for it wherever you found this show, or head to dimreturns.com. So, Napoleon got cancelled because of prohibitive costs. That's that's the main reason, and I can imagine the 40,000 Romanian soldiers having something to do with that. Uh, from the film studio side, um, there's a Ukrainian a Soviet Union director uh, called Sergei Bondarchuk. <laughs> Bondarchuk? He released War and Peace in 1968 and Waterloo in 1970, and they both failed. This studio saw that two, you know, thematic films. One of them was done by Dino De Laurentiis as well, produced, so, you know, that's fairly that's fairly big. Oh. They both failed, you know, historical pieces around the same Napoleon time. So the studio just, just wasn't in the mood. Yeah. And uh, saw that it was a huge cost, you know, with yeah. basically the Romanian army on board. And th- they just said, no, just money reasons. That's it. Kubrick mustn't have been a very sentimental man because he just marched straight on ahead with other projects. The next one being uh, A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. So ends the the planning of uh, of Napoleon. It seems like he just put it to bed after that point. Uh, but all was was not in vain. The research went on to clearly influence Barry Lyndon, and we both have concluded that that is possibly the best film of all time, as we've discussed during this podcast so far. Spielberg at one point said he'll write and direct something to do with Napoleon, like probably along the lines of AI, but. I doubt if that will happen. A couple of other directors at some point have said they're on to make a version of it. Uh, there was an opera made, and it's one of those things where a couple of decades later, people look it up and go, oh, yeah, Napoleon, yeah, yeah, Kubrick's unfinished masterpiece, let's make it. No way. They see if there's an appetite for it, but there isn't, so then they just forget about it and make Ready Player One instead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll make a prediction now. I think that this will get made one day. I think it will be some bullshit CGI monstrosity. It won't be Kubrick's Napoleon. It'll, you know, it'll be it'll be what they're doing with James Dean at the moment. Have you heard about this? Yeah, I think we talked about this before. Yeah, the CGI grave robbing of of James Dean. Yeah. Um I think they're going to do that. I think eventually someone will go, "Let's make Kubrick's Napoleon script into a film." And we'll cast all the original people he would have worked with back in the day, but we'll CGI them, and it'll be weird, and it won't be Kubrick's film, but we'll pretend it is. Yeah, they'll they'll stick on a credit for him somewhere, and they'll market the shit out of that. I'm gonna do a throwout to the other podcast that we've done here. Do you remember I talked about uh, Kaleidoscope and Rendezvous with Rabbit? Yes. See, the thing is, I I really want them to get made. I would I, w- I want Rendezvous with Rabbit to get made. And Kaleidoscope, it's not that I really want it to be made now, but I really wish it had been made as yeah. Alfred yeah, Hitchcock intended. You know, I, I really want them, I really want to see them. I wish Kaleidoscope got made 
in that time, in that context, and wish it had the chance yeah. to turn things upside down. But it's quite the opposite for me with Napoleon. It's not made, and I don't really care about that fact, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, because we, we, we still got Barry Lyndon. Yeah. I, I've read the script for Napoleon, which is something that I wasn't able to do with the other ones. And it, yeah. it's very similar to Barry Lyndon in a lot of ways. For example, Barry Lyndon has a narrator, yeah? Yeah. I don't know if I'm daft or what, but are there other Kubrick films that have a narrator? Clockwork Orange? Uh, no, I don't mean narrator uh, as in character voiceover. I mean narrator, narrator. Oh, so a voice of God narrator. Yes. Mm. No. I don't think so. I'm trying to remember his older stuff, his earlier ones, like Paths of Glory. I don't think they the do. Killing. Unless we're missing something yeah, I huge. I, I don't think they do, you're right. Okay, so Barry Lyndon has a narrator. Napoleon would have had it first, you know, if Napoleon got made after 2001. Yeah. But one interesting thing that Napoleon does is that it's got a narrator, but it's also got Napoleon doing a voiceover at certain points as well. Yeah. Okay, so this was a preliminary script. So, you know, certain things maybe didn't get resolved or whatever, or maybe this was just it. Maybe this was going to be the only draft, who knows. But it seems like Kubrick was toying with the idea of setting up a conflict between the god narrator and Napoleon doing his own voiceover. Like a psychological conflict between the two. Yeah. The narrator describing one thing, and then Napoleon saying another, and then the film playing it out in another way. You know, there there was an interesting dynamic there yeah. that seemed to be set up. It didn't kind of go anywhere, but uh, maybe it's something he was going to develop on down the line. One thing about this script that I... Is it, it does it kind of span the man's entire life or a big portion of it or is it it, it spans his entire life it, okay it, it starts with uh, Napoleon as a young lad sucking his thumb and holding a teddy bear oh <laughs> and uh, you know you can just imagine that a close-up on the face and a zoom out into whatever tableau Corsica I think you know setting that he's in you know just normal Kubrick opening shot so yeah it's it it quickly goes through his childhood and goes through his time at the military school and learning all that. And after about 15, 20-ish pages, then it starts to focus. And it really focuses from him going from captain to general. Like, that's when the detail really starts. Yeah. That happens around 30 pages in, maybe. From childhood to captain is dealt with very quick. You could call it a montage of sorts. And then when it, when he reaches captain, then it slows down. And it goes very detailed, encompassing the height and eventual fall of his reign. Huh. The character that it builds is is not a Jack Nicholson character. It, it, it's not. It's definitely a David Hemmings one, because the thing is, Napoleon, well, when he was young, he wasn't a bad guy at all. He's very smart. He's like a magnet for military knowledge. Yeah. He's honorable, he's ruthless, but he's not cruel. You know, he makes a point to treat you know, the enemy soldiers in the battlefield and stuff. Yeah. He does nothing but win the constant admiration of those around him and also his enemies as well. You know, one way or another, everyone comes onto his side. And that's a major plot point in the film where the Tsar of Russia becomes his best buddy, even though they're at war. And that has some big plot points later on. The whole thing about this script is that it was interesting to read because he... It doesn't sound like a story. As you're reading it, it reads more like a set of instructions that Kubrick is writing to himself. Mm. You know, it, it breaks a lot of rules, as I know them, of screenwriting. Yeah. 
you know, of not dictating shots, not dictating what to do, and, you know, telling the director what to do. But then you realize that this is Kirby telling himself. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, as much as I love him, I don't know how much of a writer Kubrick was compared to a director. I I know uh, A Clockwork Orange was very much a sort of, we don't really have a proper screenplay. They just kind of went in and kind of figured it out as they went along. They They had the book that it was based on, and that was what they basically used as a screenplay, but um, it was very much, you know, a director taking charge of a of a film rather than meticulously figuring it out when writing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it was up in his head <laughs> with Napoleon. <laughs> yeah. His very extensive head. I mean, there's no doubt he was more than capable of hyper-focusing and all this, and but th- that was just interesting to me. You know, it was a very technical script. Yeah, another thing the script has as well is, but um, but the whole time yeah. you know Napoleon's not a a bad guy. Like success goes to his head a little bit, but not without good reason. And the reason being that he is a military genius, and he keeps that the whole way yeah. through the end. Um, I just think the point is to be made about um, you know, the alliances that all the other countries in Europe have. He wasn't accepted by the nobility. The alliances turned against him. All right. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't... This isn't one that I sort of lust after, you know? I don't, I don't kind of think, oh, God, I wish that film got made. I wish we saw Napoleon by Kubrick. Although, you know, it's, it's weird. I can't really think of any Napoleon movies. I felt like there must have been a Napoleon movie of note. Yeah, but... I mean, I mean, I suppose we could watch the ones that were made, but they're not supposed to be very good. Well, Napoleon Dynamite's alright. Zing! That's the best Napoleon film of all time. There's Napoleon from 1927, which is quite a uh, a famous film amongst filmy people, but obviously that's, you know, it's, um, it's, well, it's from yeah. the 20s, so... And it's it's a silent film, so it's kind of quite separate from cinema as we tend to think of it. And I, other than that, I don't really know of any substantial Napoleon movies. There totally should be because I mean, it is a hell of a story. The guy was just a a psycho genius of military tactics. He was. Yeah, there's you know I think there's some films about Waterloo, but as far as I know, they're from the the British perspective. Yeah, so and I don't, I don't you know. know. Um, but I say that having never seen them, and maybe they're not. <laughs> uh, if you if you enjoyed hearing about Napoleon, then mm-hmm. then come back next week and check out our previous episodes as well. Uh, loads of good shit, not just high art stuff like Kubrick, but trashy shit as well. So superheroes, yeah, Spider Man, George Romero, check it out. <laughs> Bye. Bye.